ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Executive Girlfriends Group. Today we are going to be talking about greatness and I am just so, so excited to have Misty Burmeister uh, as our guest today. I have been following her on social media and and watching what she's up to and uh, when I saw this book title, uh, just got really, really excited about having her as a guest and reached out and thankfully she said yes. So Misty, welcome to the Executive Girlfriends Group. Gosh, what a pleasure, and I can't imagine anybody saying no to you. <laughs> well, I, mean, I can be quite persuasive, which is which is a really good thing, and uh, it has, has worked out well. We've had some amazing guests, but, you know, you have just a really, really cool story, and, and I love the story of, of you in your early 20s, so can you... Uh, give us your thumbnail. Give us give us that background of of how you got your start. Yeah, yeah I, so my start. Yeah, there's so many different starts. So I'll just I'll, I'll <laughs> the start first with my, start. Because right? <laughs> uh, I've had many savings, I should say, I have many opportunities to to uh, to be saved from something that wasn't working, basically. Uh, but for the sake of this, we'll just you know the whole career piece, right? So. Um, I was pissed off and irritated that I could not figure out how to communicate in such a way that, like, the more seasoned professionals understood that I was meaning meaning well, that I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to do something really good. Instead, I came across as uh, needy, unwilling to pay my dues, like all those bad, like, not so good things to be seen as. I was struggling with being patient. I didn't understand why they kept telling me that I needed to pay my dues. I just It just didn't make any sense to me. And so that whole frustration is what led me to quitting my job, uh, which is in Bethesda, Maryland at the time, working for a government contractor. After I tried to explain to the CEO everything I had learned about her business, uh, I had been in business for 25 years at the time, and I put two solid weeks of of research into her company. Now, I say two solid weeks, recognize that I have a lot of energy and I had no friends. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> else to do but research. So I researched and researched and researched, and I presented to her to show her everything I knew, thinking maybe I could go out and do business development, though I didn't even know what that was back then. Uh, I would never have used that word, but um, you know, go out and build a business, I don't know, whatever you'd call that. And she looks at me and she says, Missy, what did your parents do to deal with you? It's clear you have problems with anxiety. Do you take medication for that? <laughs> and Yeah. And in a split second, I felt like I was back in middle school standing in front of a judge waiting to be uh, sentenced for, you know, one stupid thing or another, which is, a, you know, a past life of mine. And I didn't want that to happen to me again. I just wanted to help her with her business. I wanted to contribute. I didn't want to just sit behind a desk doing meeting planning by myself all day long. I wanted to do something more. And so I quit. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had just $37 to my name and a $1,000 rent payment coming due. And uh, so I figured I better figure it out really quickly. And I started doing research and 
that's what the whole research piece is what led me into wanting to help both young and seasoned professionals understand how to communicate with each other, how to help each other. So after quitting your job at 23, just $37 to your name and a $1,000 rent payment due, which, you know, is like the very definition of, of a panic attack, I think. So, <laughs> Amen. So, so you went out and and tried to solve a problem that you, you weren't even sure what the problem was. But at the end of the day, it was all about communication, which, you know, I mean, I tell my kids that that uh, everything is about how you communicate, whether it's identifying a problem or, you know, putting forth a solution and, you know, really figuring out how to take responsibility for your own uh, communication is, is one of the things that uh, hit home in my house this morning when my son asked me to send a note to his teacher of why he couldn't do his online quiz last night. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I and my response to him, by the way, was, by the way, I would like for you to become the young man that I know that you can be. And I can't lie for you to tell your teacher that you couldn't access the online quiz last night because I know there was no problem with being online last night. And so I have been trying to provoke greatness in my 15-year-old son, right? Unleashing you go, his, girl. Hidden, his hidden potential. And I told him, because I know that the real problem is he hates technology. And, and for a 15-year-old boy to hate technology is a little bit unusual. But this is a, a, a child who would spend all day out fishing or playing football if given the opportunity, right? Um, but what, what kind told, of guy? <laughs> but what I told him is that he actually needs to learn how to communicate with his teacher two things. One, that how to help him succeed despite the fact that he hates technology is there a way that he can take the test offline simply because he's in this hole where he's got a D right now in math, and if he doesn't get that D up, he doesn't get to keep playing tennis, which is one of his other passions. <laughs> so anyway, I, I am right with you that uh, you know that, that you hit the nail on the head, and even being as young as you were when you made that uh, you know that that uh, astounding finding. Um, so let, let's go to the next part of your life because you this isn't your first book and no, uh, no. you know so you went from business development then to what what was the next step well it, part of my research is i just started interviewing cold calling from the yellow pages uh people in 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 three different disciplines one was um three different industries i should say you know, higher education, nonprofit, and it later be, I also looked into organizational development. And in six months, I interviewed 160, 150 people. Mm. And it was during those interviews that I unknowingly started coaching. So, for example, one of the CEOs said to me, I happen to have a really good opportunity to interview a CEO of a nonprofit in, in, in D.C., and she says to me, Misty, you know, right in the middle of the interview, she just drops her pen and paper and says, I don't get these young professionals today. They come into my office without a pen and piece of paper in their hand. First day on their job, you know, what is up with these young people, basically? And I just got curious. I Here I am doing all this research on basically on generational differences at the time, and I got curious like, well, what does it mean that they didn't come into your office without a pen and piece of paper, that they, they came in without those things? And she said, I mean, you know, they don't respect me, they don't care about this organization, and they don't want to be successful here. And I just looked at her like she had two heads. Like, that's just crazy. Of course, 
<laughs> they do care. They just don't get it. Like I didn't get it. Um, and so I gave her some ideas and suggestions. And before you knew it, I'm getting a call saying, wow, your ideas really work. And on top of all that, I, I had, you know, through all, all the rest of the interviews, it was clear to me that I needed to do something to bridge that gap. And I did that for seven years. I went around the country, even internationally, and spoke on generational differences. And then I realized something so important, which is, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are. We all want the same basic things. We just express our desires differently at different times in our careers. And if if you're 50-something years old and you're not happy with the results you have in your career and some 20-year-old comes in saying, I want everything, you get irritated. You're not really irritated with them, though. You're irritated that you don't have what you want. So I started to see this sort of this, this these themes um, in terms of what do people across generations really want? What do they need to be pumped up and excited and uh, enthusiastic about doing great work? That's what I, I mean, we all we spend most of our time at work, and we want to do good work. So how do we create an environment that causes people to be able to do and give and share that good work. And so I started researching that. And that's where Provoking Greatness came from, the book Provoking Greatness, which is based on the voice model. And the voice model came from, you know, V-O-I-C-E, vision, ownership, intention, community, and energy. The folks I had been interviewing and learning about, you know, how they created this environment, They're all, everybody is, is looking for different areas to grow in. Nobody's ever perfect. No company, no leader is ever perfect, but they're always striving to improve in those five distinct areas, and they all interlap with each other. So that's kind of where provoking greatness came from. It doesn't matter what generation we're talking about now. How do we get people to rise into their best self? So back in 2008, you wrote the book From Boomers to Bloggers, Success Strategies Across Generations. So that was taking all of that learning and putting it out there so that people could really understand that, that it is possible to succeed across generations. And I, I'm just coming off of a relationship in, in business of, of a business development person who uh, was 30-something and I'm 50-something uh, in, in the latter half of that, uh, that age range. And he and I were just at loggerheads. I don't know where, uh, where you were when, when I was having my problems with him, but, but I needed you <laughs> because I realize now so much of it, it, first of all, it manifested itself in the mechanisms that we communicated with. And I, I'm very, very electronic. And, you know, I've been involved in computers my entire adult life. Um, but the problem was he was communicating largely via text, which meant when I needed him to go and make sure that at the end of the day that the Salesforce tool that we were using to capture all of the business development information, that all those conversations were somehow captured. Uh, you know, he couldn't or wouldn't do that. Right. So, you know, as we, we talk about your new book, and I want to dive into that um, here pretty quickly uh, because there's so much to cover. I'd like for you just to give me, though, just the quick story of how you got from that book to this book. It's such a great question. From Boomers to Bloggers is based on the five most common generational clashes, i.e., you know, pay your dues versus give it all to me right now. 
Um, and I just use stories to articulate to both sides how to come to a common ground, and then I outline what that common ground is. So that's what From Boomers to Bloggers is all about, a book uh, still doing very well today. Uh, but anyway, so then to, to, to shift over to provoking greatness, really what I did was expand on that common ground because at the end of the day, the reason people aren't performing, well, there are several reasons, but one, two of the, the two top reasons people don't perform, don't do the thing that we, we've asked them to do, is either because they don't understand how what they're doing is contributing to something that matters, so they don't have that motivation because they don't get it, uh, whether or not they should is irrelevant, like if we can remove the shoulds for a moment and just get present to the reality, which is sometimes they just don't get it, and so they need to be reminded, um, they need help with that, or it's because they lack the skills. And for me, when I was doing meeting planning for that company, I severely lacked in budgeting skills. I mean, I could go into all the details of the things that you know you need to be able to plan an event. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And so instead of evaluating where am I, where am I trying to go, what matters to me, where am I trying to go with my career, how can I advance my skills and to understand why advancing my skills is going, it matters not only for me individually but for the company or the organization that I'm serving was critical and I didn't know any of those things. Um, and whether or not, again, this whole word should comes up often. You know, older people or younger people, <laughs> younger professionals will say things like, and I'll never say older people again, that's wrong. It was totally on PC, so I'll retract that from... <laughs> Hey, more experience. <laughs> right, more experienced seasoned professionals, yeah. You know, young, so younger professionals just they don't we we don't know what we don't know and we don't understand that our hunger to make progress quickly um or to get to that next level of success gets in our way because folks who have been around a little bit longer understand that it doesn't work that way, but they forget that they didn't know that when they first started so they had to learn it but they don't you know they really don't know how they learned it they just did and so instead of teaching that they just make a lot of assumptions and use a lot of shoulding younger people should older people you should text more you should you know you should um uh, be willing to be to be more into innovative you should blah but at the end of the day no what we would all do well is to refocus on what are we trying to do together and why does that matter Right, right. Well, and it's interesting that that you ascribe that to the younger of of the two, because I I am married to a sixty five year old man who is he like owns the word should, right? His picture <laughs> is next to should on on uh, uh, the dictionary, um, and and so I I think that the generational uh, thing is just a fascinating topic, and we could probably spend the whole time on that. But but let's let's jump into this book. And I think it's really interesting, and I, you know, I do a lot of these interviews, and uh, I take a look at how the book is structured. You know, one of the things that appeals to me is when a when a book is really, really well organized, and and when it's clear to me the story that it tells. And and in this book, you start out with the first section being about vision, the second section being about ownership, the third about intentions, the fourth about community. And then you go to energy, and and then you have the conclusion to the book. But the interesting thing to me about your book 
is you have got all these really provocative uh, chapter titles. And it, you know, it occurs to me that the word provocative and the word provoke actually fit together. And so why did you go with the term provoke, so provoking greatness? Oh, what a great question. I love your questions, and you're a lot of fun to interview with. You're remarkable, <laughs> and I appreciate you very much. I do. You're a lot of fun. Uh, provoke. So, so uh, have you ever heard the, the quote by, I think it's, is it E.E. E. Cummins? I may get the, 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 the author uh, wrong right now, but it'll come back to me. It's, um, most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with their hearts, with their songs still in their heart. Yes. Have you heard of that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, it'll come back to me who who said that quote because I, I, I do say it often. I'm just not remembering it right now. But anyway, most people, the same thing is true. You know, obviously, it's a very true statement. And if that's true, how do we shift that? I'm interested in shifting that. And at the end of the day, if it's true that most people want to sing their song, whatever that is, you know, obviously for not everybody wants to actually sing, but to sing their song, to do their thing that they're so good at, we all want to do that, but most people never do. Right. Then we need to be challenged to do the thing that we want to do, but we're scared to do. So I use the word provoke to indicate sort of challenging people to step into what they're capable of doing. Right. Well, I will tell you that that quote is paraphrased uh, because it was originally said by King Solomon who said in Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life, right? So what you're talking about is provoking the very life that we were created to be, right? I mean, it's amazing yes. that whether it's leadership as a skill or a talent or, you know, what, what I focus on, which is, is differentiation and status quo busting. And what did you call it at the beginning when, when we were talking before we got Disrupting on the show? Disrupting the status quo. Oh, no, you uh, said it in a much more colorful way. <laughs> I'll work on remembering that. I don't remember exactly how I said it, but I was reading your bio. Anyway, but whatever, whatever gift we were given at that, that instant that we became who we are, right, is, is what we're trying to provoke out of ourselves. And I love the fact that you start uh, this introductory chapter with another quote of, of one of my favorite people, Simon Sinek. And uh, it says, there are leaders, and then there are those that lead. Leaders hold a position of power or authority, but those who lead inspire us. And whether they're individuals or organizations, we follow those who lead, not because we have to, but because we want to. We follow not for them, but for ourselves. So what you're talking about here is that ability to, uh, and again, we can't command people to follow us, right? And, and that isn't that greatness that you're talking about. The, the people who were born for that greatness, uh, people actually see it in them, right? Yeah, I like that that word command. I think mo most people use that. Actually, I would say that ninety percent of the the workforce uses that whole command thing. It's so exhausting. It's that whole yes. pushing, pushing, push. It's so exhausting. It doesn't have to be that hard. It's just that we're we're, we're just not aware that it's easier by working in a just in a different way. 
right. by, by right. leading in a different way. I mean, what you're what you're talking about there is well, I'll let you go 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 with what you were going to say. Well, no, I I was just thinking about how um, you know somebody who who sees this book on the shelf, and I mean it's got got a, a really great cover, and I know it's always hard to to communicate that to people who are on the radio listening. Um, but it, it's got a, a, a turtle that is on wheels with a rocket on its back. I mean, what <laughs> a great graphic. And, and, and then I have to ask you whether you came up with that or whether that was uh, the publisher's uh, brilliance that was coming through. It was actually my least favorite cover of all. I had oh, actually really? picked a I had picked an image of a pawn looking into a mirror, and inside the mirror – was you know like a um a queen or a king or something like that and she looks at me this lady who's you know she picks out the covers and, and stuff like that she looks at that and she goes she goes I'm pretty smart you know she's she, Allison's her name I'm pretty smart a lot of degrees she goes I don't get it and I was like what do you mean you don't get it she goes I don't get it and I said well look at these ones and she and she points right at the one that I dislike the most because I think it's the cheesiest and the whatever. She goes, I like that one, and it's the one that you see, only the turtle was facing the opposite direction, and it didn't have a fire on its butt. So the right, flame was right. not yet lit. So she goes, we just need to turn that around and light the fire. I was like, all right, I'm good. You know, like if that is simple enough, like you, she goes, I get that. Well, and, and that, that that is actually uh, a really interesting story because, first of all, none of us have the framework of knowing what could have been, right? And isn't that so true in our lives that that we all come with our own perspective? And one of the reasons why there are people in every conference room and every meeting in, in the world today uh, where people are gathering trying to figure out how to be great, right, that there's someone in that room that actually clearly sees the metaphor, right, of, of how yeah. to get from where you are to where you want to be. And it's one of the reasons why I'm such a successful consultant, because I'm one of those people that doesn't see any of the barriers. And if you pick the worst cover out of the, you know, out, out of the number that are available to you, you know, I mean, that's where you, where you are, and that's where you have to figure out how to, how to move from there and work with what you've got. But the reason why I, I bring this up is because even the little turtle who thinks he can't go anywhere, when you look at this metaphorically or, or even physically, um, all of the things that were his barriers before, which is being powered by his little legs, right, which can't go anywhere, and, and they, he can only go so fast, and the wheels – let him go further, but he doesn't have an engine, right? So <laughs> strapping the rocket on his back is is the way to make that happen. So anyway, um, I, I was just going to make one other comment that um, it's one thing to figure out how to provoke greatness in yourself and another to provoke greatness in others. Which one of those does this book address? It really is a, it, it really is both and it begins the whole book begins with it. The foundation of the whole book is about vulnerability. And so we cannot do for others what we're unable or unwilling to do for ourselves. So to push somebody else to do something that is uncomfortable it's scary. It's one thing to go it's if if you go after 
a goal that you really don't care about whether or not you get it, it's not a big deal. But when you're going after a goal that is deeply meaningful to you and there's a potential that you might fail, like this book, From Boomers to Bloggers, when Xavier Williams, who's an officer at AT AT&T and I was working there at the time, I was doing consulting with his team at the time, when he looked at me and said, go write the book, and I looked at him and said, I don't write books. And he says to me, well, you have one year. And I said, that sounds like a threat. He said, it is. <laughs> and, it, and I said, what do you mean? He goes, if you don't write it in a year, no more opportunities for you. And I said, man, that would really suck for you because I had done some really great work there already. He right. goes, I know. So could you, could you please help me out? Like, he clearly had the intention of helping me to do the thing that he can see I could easily do. Right. That was his in, I could feel his intention in that vision, right? I could feel that. And so in a year, I was done with the book. And I published it and I got it out there and then he supported it in every which way he possibly could. And, um, you know, I don't really know where I was going with that. But that the, the whole, con- all right, so the whole concept being, if he had said those words to me because somehow he was going to benefit from the launch of my book or he was going to somehow get something out of out of that, I would have felt that intention, but 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 right. really, he he provoked me because he intended to help me, right? And well, most and, people don't. And your 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 section one of your book, which is all about vision, you start that by saying that vision is pain, painting a clear picture of an ideal future that inspires people into action. So the clear picture he painted for you was the timeline. Well, not just the timeline, but I literally could see the completion of a book. I literally could see that even if just one person, Xavier, was going to read it, I had a purpose in writing that book. He right. wanted to read my book, so I was going to write that book. I think a lot of, a big mistake a lot of leaders make is they think they're provoking greatness when in the end all they're really doing is manipulating for their own success. So they're trying to get you to live into your greatness, but at the end of the day, they want you to get those tasks done. So they're challenging you, challenging you, challenging you. Uh, you know, they think they're provoking you, but their ego is caught up in all of that. No, we have to let go of what we're going to get out of it and really focus on helping other people reach for success that is possible for them, for them, not just for not for us, but for them, it could benefit us, but it really can't be about us and our and our greatness. We have to be okay with our own greatness and where we are before we can challenge somebody else to do to do something that's uncomfortable and that's scary. Right. Well, just to remind uh, our listeners, if you didn't catch it from the first time around, and, and actually I, I gave it when I was talking about the table of contents of the book, um, the V for vision is the first letter in the word voice. And, and again, because most people are, are uh, you know, listening to this perhaps as they're driving or working out or whatever, whatever you're doing right now, just remember the acronym uh, voice, uh, that word. Uh, so vision is that first step. And, and you, you already shared one, one story out of that. It, and before we go on to ownership, is is there another story that that uh, you know kind of peeks out at you as as something that that really reinforces what that vision piece of it is all about? 
You know, I think the story that keeps popping for me right now is actually the reason I wrote this book. Because there's, there's a there's a there's a way that we can provoke greatness and not even know that we just did it. And then there's a way of doing it that we're intentional about doing it. So anybody could just accidentally provoke greatness, and they didn't even know that they did it. The book is centered around how to do that intentionally. And the reason I wrote that the book the way that I did is because I was sharing the story when I was in high school. I was on my way to um, uh, to English class, and I was late as usual and without my homework. And this case, my teacher, right, she stops me at the door and she says, where's your homework? And I said, in this case, I don't have it. Why not? And I just shrugged my shoulders. She says, see me after class. And I'm thinking, great, more detention. And I'm sharing the story, by the way, with my friend Greg and mentor Greg here in Baltimore, a Kondorasi, amazing man. And uh, I said, you know, so I, I waited after class. All the rest of the students left. It was just Miss Kays and I, and I'm sitting there just waiting for my pink slip to go to detention. And she looks at me and she says, Missy, if I could just take a wire and insert it into your mouth, travel it down your arms to your fingertips, we'd have a writer on our hands today. And then she just turned around and walked out, like just left me standing there. And a writer was born that day. Wow. Prior to that, I hadn't written any of my own stuff. My mom had actually helped with, well, basically written most of my stuff for me. She just wanted me to graduate high school, and I was just trying to get through it. And after that, I got curious, and I went, huh, I wonder. I do talk a lot. (laughs) A lot. I talk a lot. I wonder if I could talk with my hands. And sure enough, I didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen right then for sure, but it happened and it's because of what she said. And, you know, he said to me, Greg says to me, Misty, you know, I doubt she did that on purpose. I called her before I launched uh, my book and I to thank her. And she didn't remember that at all. Right. <laughs> of course not. Not at all. Right. And um, and so the point here is to be intentional. How do we how do we get permission to to provoke somebody else's greatness? How do we get intentional about that so that we can get the permission that we need to do that? Right, right. Well, one of the provocative uh, chapter titles is Chapter 3, which is still in the vision section of the book. Are you more captivating than angry birds? Oh, man, that's funny. about that one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's uh, it's a great story. I have to keep it short because it could be a longer story. Uh, so basically, there's a video game company up here in Maryland that was um, floundering. They were struggling, this team, to create this video, this game, uh, really struggling. And I was working with one of the uh, executives involved, and um, they kept going back and forth around the vision of the uh, of the game, and and nobody really had a clear understanding of of what this game was supposed to look like. So what ended up happening is the art the art community, uh, the art departments are just creating their own art based on what they thought it should look like, you know, and all the other departments started doing their pieces. Think of like the programming piece started creating the programming based on what they thought it should look like. And there was just a lot of disconnection and disjointedness going on. People were really frustrated. And at, at one point they, this is a year and a half into the project, big scale project, five, six year long project development kind of MMO, massive multiplayer online game. And uh, they finally hired this guy and his job was to create a vision for the product. And this guy was amazing. He comes in there and he goes around to all the different departments and he asks them, what's your vision? What's your vision? And this is a two to four week process he goes through. 
And then he crafts a really clear vision for this for the prize. This is what we're creating, guys. And here's, by the way, how you over in the art department, you over in customer service, you over, and he has all of them in one giant room, and he's explaining to them how what they're doing is going to contribute to this vision. And it was just moments after that, and we're in. I, I, I wasn't there for this, but uh, the executive I was working with was, and she's sitting there. And in past meetings, it was one of those situations where um, one, they in past situations, uh, in past meetings, these guys are sitting there playing Angry Birds on their phone, not really paying attention to the meeting and what was happening. After that meeting where they talked about, his name was Todd that came in. After Todd came in and, and clarified the vision of the of the product, the next meetings, all the meetings after that, she watched as all of her team members, not all of them, but several of them, their, their feet were tapping on the ground. Their phones were not in their hands, and they and they were just clearly like very anxious and she didn't know what this whole thing was all about so she stops one of them and she says like what is that all about why why are you why are you tapping your feet and and they go i just can't wait to get back to the office back to my office to get this get this thing complete so we can create this vision and that's the power of a vision like when you don't know where you're going angry birds are going to take over angry birds sometimes look like facebook sometimes looks like personal calls sometimes looks like twitter and whatever it might be the, those the angry birds go away when there's clarity of where we're going. That's the whole right. concept of what that that whole story was about. Right, right. So so interesting. So the next part of the book is is the O in voice, which is about ownership. So so talk to me about ownership and and what what aspect uh, of ownership is going to help you get to greatness. Uh, I think one of the greatest stories that comes to me is I was in Washington, D.C. I was doing a presentation of 15 awesome CEOs in a roundtable discussion, and we're talking about provoking greatness. And before we get started, everybody goes around the room, and they introduce themselves, and they, they're telling me and each other what they're hoping to get out of this time together. And maybe the second guy in, we'll call him Jack. Jack said, well, the folks on my team, after he talked about what he's doing, which they're all some amazing stuff. It was very, very inspiring. The folks on my team, they just don't listen to each other. They cut each other off in the middle of sentences, and he's, and he's just really animated. He's pissed off that they do this all the time. I said, all right, so I put, that, I put up there on the board listening skills, right? And maybe it was five or six guys later, this guy Fred starts talking, and he's sharing right in the middle of sharing about what he does and why it matters, and Jack cuts him off. And he says, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> Didn't mean to touch off. And then he keeps talking. And we're all looking at him, and I'm looking at the board, and I'm thinking, and you have a hard time understanding why your team does that? Like (laughs) one finger pointing out and three fingers pointing back? And so that's the whole concept of ownership. The results that we're getting in our lives, good, bad, or indifferent, are a direct result of who we're being. So if you can't take 100% responsibility for the the, the folks on your team who who are not performing up to snuff, then you you have no power. If you think it's them, you're crazy. If you think it's a great opportunity for you, now you're in business. Wow, wow. 
So the a couple of the chapter titles here are, you know, change your mindset, change your outcome, uh, you know, which is a little bit of, of uh, what you just shared, that a- as we are focusing on, on what we think needs to get done, we're going to keep getting those same outcomes that, that we framed ourselves for. But the, the one I want you to talk about is actually Chapter 7, uh, which is called Failing to Fail. And as an entrepreneur, I mean, I absolutely understand that failure as teacher, right, is is how I ended up getting a doctorate, right? I, I did not complete college, but I can tell you I have, I have a doctorate uh, in running a business, and it's because of failure. And so you're talking here about uh, that you can't take ownership until you actually have failed. Well, so... The, the whole idea of failing to fail is we have inside of our minds this perfect uh, success. And what we don't know is that in the journey to going after the thing that we think we're supposed to do, we, we learn all the lessons we're meant to learn, and we get a, sometimes a completely different outcome. Um, and the, the thing is, is when we're so focused on perfect, we never get into action. And if we're right. never – into action and we can't be inspired. And so inside of companies, this looks like people are just, they're, they're drones. They're just going through the day to get through the day because there's all of these rules in place and, and it's all to protect us from failing because we've got in our mind, you know, this, this recently happened to me. This is a perfect story for this. It's extremely vulnerable, but I'm going to share it. I, just a couple of days ago, was interviewing this woman named Anise Cavanaugh. She's just an amazing human being. And she, at the end of the conversation, we were talking about vulnerability and love in the workplace. And at the end of the conversation, right after we turned off the recording, um, I asked her, hey, Anise, can you, can you do me a favor? She said, yeah, what's that? Uh, and I said, you get a lot of speaking requests. In fact, I saw that you spoke for Inc. Magazine, and I would love to speak for Inc. Magazine for their Women's Summit. Uh, women's leadership. I would love to do that. Like, can you put my name in the hat? And then split second, she sends me this link to a website that has all of these great businesses, business conferences listed. And she goes, man, just, you know, put your name in for, for these conferences, submit yourself for, as a speaker for these conferences. And while she couldn't see, cause we were on the phone, in an right. instant, when she sent that to me, I cringed. I was like, no, like, I didn't right. know what was going on, but I instantly anger, instantly frustrated, instantly like, no, I don't want to submit my name. I had no idea that what was going on for me was I didn't want to fail. Right. If I submitted and they rejected me, then I'm, then I'm not successful. And I don't want to deal with that. And so once I finally got an understanding of that, just maybe this is a couple of weeks ago, Maybe I've I've failed to put my name in the hat many times because I've been so afraid of failure. You figured that out. <laughs> well, that's the like, whole picture of sales in general. I mean, I, I look at my own current company, and I have got this amazing, game-changing technology that I've built. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm a technologist. I'm a strategist, and I would never put the word sales next to my name and but that's what it takes 
to actually get the product out there is to put it in people's hands. And and so, I mean, that completely resonates with me. Uh, you know, I, I ha- well, this guy that I was talking about that we had this generational gap, one of the other problems was I had hired him actually to do business development, which meant to get contracts done. Well, what he is really good at, as it turns out, is coming up with that list, right, filling the pipeline, making the connections, and then turning it over to me, which was like my worst nightmare. So that, that was my, my list of, of speaking engagements, was him giving me that list in, in the sales tool that we were using. <laughs> and what do you want me to do with this? No, I want you to close the deals. So uh, very, very interesting. Wow, and maybe he's showing you the area where you got to get a little more courageous. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, clearly, if I'm going to move this company forward, I either have to raise money, which I'm way more comfortable doing that than uh, getting individual people to sign contracts with me. But you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've always found that the emotions that are the that are the most negative, perceivably, and the strongest, like anger, like being pissed off, like um, grief, sadness, all the, all the stuff that we don't ever want to feel are always our access point to our greatest areas for growth. And so when I hear you tell that story, I go, hmm, I wonder what's there for her. When I, when I opened myself up to learning from the experience I just described, I finished by going, I wonder where else I give up on myself and I play small. Where else do I play small because it's more comfortable? So you're not comfortable doing X, Y, and Z. Well, is that X, Y, and Z critical to the vision that matters to your heart? And if it is, it's time to step up. Well, and, it, you know, things that recur in our life story are typically that. And it's funny because I just finished the manuscript of, of my first uh, business book. I've, I've written a number of books in uh, – for my industry, and I don't really consider those those books. But one of the stories that I tell, and it's an allegorical business novel, so it's not my story. But as you might imagine, my story is woven, uh, you know, through the story of the the characters of the book. And one of the stories that I tell is I have these uh, these two men, one who is a, a sales VP, and the other who's a VP of customer service. Um, and and a private equity company comes in and buys the company or invest in the company and flip-flops those two jobs. And so the guy who had been the service guy who loved customers, right, he loved taking care of them, gets put in this sales job. And so what does he do? He stays home for three days. He calls in sick. And he's like sitting on the couch just sick about having to do this. And, of course, that's me back in 1982 when I had been hired by a company in Denver, Colorado, to install all these systems in travel agencies and they had five contracts that they had signed. Well, once I finished all of those, they said, okay, now you're the VP of sales. Well, you know exactly what happened. I stayed home for three days. And at the yeah. end of those three days, I said, okay, I don't have to like this, but I do have to do it, or I'm out of a job. And so I went, and I, you know, I doubled the size of the company in a year. And I actually know that I can do it. It's just I don't like to do it. But I, I knew when I wove that into the story of my book that, uh, you know, some somebody's talking to me. <laughs> um, you know, I, and the other piece was about not raising money, right? Because in my last uh, business, which I call my spectacular uh, failure, 
um, I raised $7 million, and we lost it all. I mean, it was bad timing, bad everything that you can even think of. And so now I've been trying to build this new company without raising money because I wanted to avoid you know, all of those feelings I went through. And when I was writing this book, of course I had them raise outside funding. It's like, okay, 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 I know I need to do it. So let's move on to Section 3 because we, we only have uh, a little bit of time left, and I want to at least give people a flavor. Uh, and, of course, they have to go out and buy the book because you know, we haven't even been able to scratch the surface uh, of the content here. But, but So in the word voice – We've already gone through vision. We've gone through ownership. So the I in this case is about intentions. So what's your favorite story from this section? Well, I'm going to make it happen right now. I'm going to have a story right now with you. I'm going to intend to challenge you. How about that? Okay. I I uh, I do. I want to challenge you. That's my intention right now is to challenge you. And in, in our intentions, I mentioned a lot uh, a, a little earlier. I talked a great deal about being intentional and recognizing you know, are you intending to get them to do something you want them to do or are you intending to help them to reach, you know, success that matters to them? And your intentions always show up in, in them. You can see what your intentions are based on how they respond. All right. So now with you, I, I want to challenge you because you, you've, you've already done it. You've already taught yourself that you can get out there and sell. So if that's true, then that means that there's a system to selling, and then if that's true, but you don't necessarily love doing it, you don't love going through the process, and that makes sense. Like you don't want to put me in front of any kind of accounting. I'll choke myself rather, <laughs> choke myself, than, than deal with accounting or bookkeeping. That's just never going to happen. Um, but you can teach somebody else how to do the thing that scares you because you've already got it figured out. You already know right. how to do it. You've already done it. And if there's more there for you to learn, then get in the trenches and do it alongside somebody else and let them watch you sweat. Because right. when you do, they're going to be inspired by the fact that you weren't hiding it from them and that you were letting them see you, um, and they get a chance to learn. So I, that's my greatest challenge to you right now. I'm intending to help to help you see an opportunity that's right in front of you. And this this um. This opportunity for growth for you has been there many times. It's just maybe now you're ready for it. Right, right. No, and I think that that's true. And and it was interesting, this aside of of writing this book, because, you know, I, I was not an as- aspiring author. I mean, I didn't I didn't sit back and say that that's what I wanted to do. In fact, the the book itself is simply the calling card to reinforce uh, the game-changing technology that I'm building, right? Because the book is called The Game Changer, right? right. And so by publishing that and, uh, you know, getting that out there, it allows me to tell the company's story in a new way. But it's funny because right before this call, I was on the phone with uh, a young guy who I, well, I don't know how young he is, but he's younger than me. Uh, we have been talking now for almost three years about this new product that um, that I have built that really turns the travel industry completely on its head. And and so the call was about the fact that he has been focused on doing things that benefit charity, right? That benefit 501c3 companies, and 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 he has gotten himself in this rut where he has um, 
created a service business that really relies on his time, you know, which which happens in a lot of entrepreneurs. They they get tied up in in service delivery. And I said, you know, wouldn't it be much better if you just helped me build my company to a billion dollar company because we're going to give 10% of our revenues uh, to the charity of choice of our clients. And so then we'd be a hundred million dollar donor, right? Doesn't that sound like more fun than, you know, this, this is the, if you're, if you're awake, you know, is the only time you're making money. And if you're sleeping, you know, nothing's going in the bank. And, and so we're doing exactly that. And at one we're going to hop back up on, on the call and I'm going to tell them how to go out and do this. So I am going to step right up to that atten- intention and do it right away. Um, so let, let's jump uh, to the last two chapters. So again, in the word voice, uh, V-O-I, so the next one is C, and that is community. And the first chapter there is the need to connect. And this whole Executive Girlfriends group, by the way, was started on National Girlfriends Day, which I did quite by accident. Isn't it cool that <laughs> out of 365 days of the year, I picked a holiday that I didn't even know existed that perfectly fit the purpose of my group, right? But it it was all about the need to connect. And this group, these women, do all want to provoke greatness in each other. So this particular interview, um, I I have just rebuilt our website, and I am just actually going to be sending that out, and I am going to encourage every single one of them to listen to this um, because that is our whole purpose and our whole intention as a group is to provoke greatness in each other. So talk to me about community real quickly. Yeah, I mean, look, people will go to the end of the earth to work for places like Google and Zappos and uh, and and Under Armour and Nike and why? Because they know that they get a chance to be around other people who believe in the same things that they believe in. And it's that sense of connection uh, mm-hmm. through service that makes us, have a, a, it gives us a chance to connect with each other, and that's the source of humanity is that connection. That's the source of feeling alive is being connected to ourselves and to other people. It's the beauty. It's where it's at. So companies that are out there striving so hard right now to build their company culture, like the number one thing to focus on is how do we create strong connections between the folks that are on our team? Like that's, mm-hmm. It just matters so, so much. We can't do anything great by ourselves. Right. All all greatness happens inside of a community. And that last piece in there, uh, just to kind of help you wrap up this call, because I know you've got to move on, and I do too, um, is energy. And so many of us spend, we waste our energy trying to manipulate and motivate other people rather than empowering them to do things that matter to them. And whether or not, you know, empowering them to do the things that matter to them is beneficial to your organization or not. Because if you're helping them grow, even if they're not the ones that help you grow, I guarantee you, I've seen it a gazillion times, they will send the people to you that you need. But if you let yourself get caught up in it's got to be this person, they got to do it this way, right. you'll lose every time and you'll waste right. your energy. Well, and it's funny, this particular section of the book, the chapter that 
absolutely jumps off the page at me is chapter number 27, Attack of the Energy Suckers. And I remember when I first, well, it wasn't when I first started consulting. I had been consulting for about 10 years uh, by this point. And I went back in to consult with one of the companies I had worked for. It was a global telecommunications company, actually one that nobody knows about because it services, it's a B2B telecoms company in the travel industry. And I walked into their building. And, and I'm telling you, the building itself sucked my energy when I walked in. Uh, the grayness, the cubicles, um, no art on the walls. You, you could not see a single human being. Uh, you know, you saw this sea of cubicles. And and I know you're not talking about physical energy suckers. No, that but, matters uh, too. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it does matter. It does matter because, um, you know, the, the drones – that are coming to work there every day and going into meetings and allow the meeting. I mean, I think meetings are the chief energy sucker of this nation. If we could just <laughs> lock all the conference rooms uh, for a day, you know, I think the, the country would actually shut down. You don't need a, an ICB missile or whatever it is they're talking about. You just, you know, it's just conference rooms. Um, so tell us the story of that chapter before we have to uh, to close down, and then you know, I'd like to ask you to share a little bit about how people can get, can get in touch with you. You know what? I do not know the story that you're referencing there. Well, that's Okay. Yeah. Tell a lot okay. of stories in that book, so I don't know the story. No worries. Well, no, I mean, I think suffice it to say that that the the sucking of energy is is the enemy of greatness, right? It's absolutely the, it's yeah. the enemy of of everything that you're trying, uh, you know, to unleash in in unleashing the greatness that's within us. And and we've all had people in our lives that the minute they walk into the room, they suck the energy out of it, and. Uh, you know, and some of that is a generational thing. I mean, I, I tell my husband he must have been an army sergeant in a previous life because he walks in at the end of the week when he comes back from being out of town, and like he looks around the house like he's checking us all out. Did we do what we were supposed to while he was gone? <laughs> and it's like, how about saying, "Hi, I'm so glad to be home," and I don't want to portray my husband as an energy sucker because he's he's not. But that particular behavior. And and is. that yeah. that habit, and I, and I wonder how much we do of that, of where we just do it that way because we've always done it that way, and we start and end the meetings the way that they've been done because that's the way it's always been done. Absolutely, it's sort of like the whole putting the crock pot. The thing I don't know if you ever heard that that story about the crock pot and the the lady who keeps cutting off the end of her turkey because. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, same concept. Well, why did you do it? Well, because my grandma did it. Why did grandma do it? Yeah, because her crock pot wasn't big enough. Right, <laughs> we still right. do it that same way. Yeah, it's exactly. Just, it's hysterical. Well, Misty, this has just been really amazing, and I swear we could probably talk all afternoon, um, but but we do need to cut it off, and uh, I don't want to do that without giving you an opportunity of telling people where where can they find you, how can they follow you, if they want you to come speak, you know, is that something that you do? Um, you know, certainly they can buy the book on, on any of the popular uh, online distribution channels, but how can they get in touch with you? Ah, the easiest way is, you know, the website is mistyburmeister.com. That's M-I-S-T-I-B-U-R-M-E-I-S-T-E-R. So B-U-R-M-E-I-S-T-E-R, mistyburmeister.com. And my email address is super simple, misty at mistyburmeister.com. And just in case they need it, my direct line is 240-401-4397. 
fabulous. And if you happen to be driving and uh, you could not write all of that down, uh, you might be able to remember executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. And up at the top, you will see uh, the link to this show, and you can listen to it again, or we will also provide you the information, uh, at least for our members, of how to get in touch with Misty. Misty, thank you so, so much, and I just hope you have an amazing weekend. And uh, for our listeners, as I mentioned, if you want to know more about the Executive Girlfriends Group, just go to executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. We would love to have you join the organization so that you can have access to be live on on calls like this and and actually ask questions uh, of, of our author guests. So thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next week. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas, inspiration, innovation with Chickie Fitzgerald.